Welcome into the final episode of our preseason preview series. Today, we're talking the SEC. My name is Joe DeSalvo with the CFF site, and I am joined, as always, by my partner, Mike. Mike, here we are. We're down the pretty much down to the last show here. Uh, the one thing about the SEC, there's a lot of nuggets that we can definitely get in and get out. A lot of teams to cover here, 14 teams, and feels like there's a lot of meat on the bone. So, um, you know, here we are, end of the road. And the key for us is to try to keep these things relevant all the way through the summer, or at least we until we get some news. You know, it's interesting, the timing of these shows are, you know, is everything. And, you know, I, I think just sort of when we get to Kentucky, that's sort of, um, I guess, timely, timely, right? Where you had Ramon Jefferson come in uh, with the news of, of, of uh, Chris Rodriguez, right? And so had we done this show maybe a few weeks ago, that wouldn't have been a talking point. But we've got some things to get into, things that are relevant and some things that should hold all the way up until preseason camp, which where we're expecting a lot of movement up until that point. Yeah, I mean, we're what first week first week of july uh everything you know it slows down until this point but i think you know you'll you'll see some uh some movement ramping up here until fall camp and i always look at i always kind of look at the the july 4th is kind of a i don't know end of the third quarter start of the start of the fourth right it kind of turned the page a little bit and we're it's it's almost to stretch uh final stretch time here in the well yeah i mean you and i talk about it i mean college fantasy football drafts start heating up on fan tracks after the 4th of July. A lot of subs start coming into the site after 4th of July, you know, the summer, you know, with football seasons, just a couple of months away, college fantasy football, particularly if you play both college and pro, you know, most college drafts are somewhere three to four weeks before the start of the season. You usually get two weeks of college football games before you get one week of NFL. So the college fantasy football season starts up a little earlier. There's a little bit more research to be done. Um, and like you said, the 4th of July is sort of like the jumping point. And we've seen that already. We're recording this now after the 4th. And we've seen quite a few subs come in after the holiday weekend. And that would be the, you know, that should be the case pretty consistently from now until the start of the year, man. So you ready to get into it? Let's roll. Let's do it, man. So you know, as always, Mike, we're going to kind of start off with the bottom feeder for college fantasy football in every conference, and we're just going to go ahead and get Vanderbilt out of the way. You know, Joey Lynch, the offensive coordinator, 21 quarterbacks coach there. Um, I don't know how much there is to talk about Vanderbilt. Maybe, you know, Will Shepard from a targeting standpoint at wide receiver, maybe take a shot on a guy like Jaden McGowan, who's a five foot eight, you know, scat back type receiver. I don't know if he'll be used more in the return game, but he's a little electric, electrifying, electrifying. But you mentioned in your write-ups, man, uh, you know, the one thing that's interesting about Vanderbilt is that this is a place, unlike some other schools, where maybe coaches can offer some immediate playing time. So does that factor into, you know, where some guys stand in regards to fantasy value on the Vanderbilt roster for you? Yeah, I mean, nobody's getting drafted from Vanderbilt this season, right. let's be honest. But, um, you know, I kind of compare Vanderbilt's, you know, we, we've spoken about it before, like in Arizona like a, a Missouri where you're not necessarily going to get these, these top end recruits, you know, whether it be an NIL or just, you know, your reputation in the SEC. Um, but what you can offer them is immediate playing time. And I think you'll see that this year because you look at some of the projected two deeps from, from other sources and they got one, two, three, you know, uh, multiple offensive playmakers listed in the, in their two deeps. I think you mentioned one with Jaden McGowan is, he was like the fastest recruit, I think, come the, to come out of South Carolina this past year. Um, he's small, but, you know, he's going to start in the slot most likely. And, and we've seen Joey Lynch have success back at Ball State with the likes of Justin Hall with, uh, playing in the slot as well. So maybe that's a guy that we keep an eye on uh, down the road. Uh, maybe in your dynasty drafts. Will Shepard, you mentioned, is a good call, I think, especially in PPR formats, because Vanderbilt's not going to score a lot of touchdowns, right? But I think there was a two, three, four-week stretch where Shepard was getting double-digit targets every week. So uh, kind of like him and Ramon Davis in the backfields. But um, I think it's 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 Shepard and Davis as potential waiver wire options down the way. and then uh, And then look out for some freshmen. 
Yeah, I think, you know, going over to Auburn next, uh, pretty straightforward. I mean, Tank Bigsby uh, is by far the most attractive player on the roster from anyone that has fantasy appeal there. Uh, But when it comes to quarterback, when it comes to receiver on that roster right now, Mike, I know for me, it's been more of a stay away. Is it just, is it just Tank Bigsby right now? And that's it. And, and kind of a buyer beware, or, you know, like we always say, we're sort of wait and see mode with Auburn right now, other than Tank Bigsby. Yeah. Wait and see. I mean, they have to throw the ball to somebody, right? So somebody might emerge as an option. I'm not, I haven't been drafting any Auburn wide receivers. If we're talking about a player beyond Tank Bigsby, and we'll get into Tank Bigsby just a little bit in here in a sec. But if 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 you want a player beyond Tank Bigsby, I would look at Landon King potentially. Um, six foot six, two hundred and twenty pounds. He's still listed as a tight end on fan tracks currently. He is though listed as wide receiver on the Auburn uh, the their official school page, right? So maybe that designation gets changed, but. You got a, a, a quote unquote tight end that is now playing receiver, made an impression during the spring. He was mentioned in multiple reports. So, you know, if he stays, he's not going to play, you know, wide receiver. He's going to be kind of one of those hybrid, you know, split them out uh, in the slot types. But, you know, that that could be valuable as a as a as a tight end piece if he's being used as a kind of a move tight end slot receiver. Yeah. So let's get into Tank Bigsby for a minute here, Mike, because here's my concern with Tank Bigsby. I know I've mentioned it to you. I'd like to rank him higher. It seems like they're going to make a conscious effort to get him as many touches as possible. What I worry about Tank Bigsby, more so for guys that participate in traditional leagues, what really kind of makes me a little hesitant to jump on him too early is that, and I know it's hard to project this, but I worry about Auburn struggling this year. And if they do, you worry about how much work he gets during the season and whether or not he may shut it down three games early. You know, what, where's Auburn going to be? I hate to make those type of assumptions. It, it's something we don't like to figure into our college fantasy football forecasting. But, I, I you know, nowadays with with the way that things are set up and with guys trying to preserve their health going into you know, an NFL draft. Um, I don't think you can necessarily take that off the radar if Auburn happens to kind of slip a little bit. That's what my concern with Bigsby would be. I think through six, seven, eight weeks, I love the guy. I think they're going to use him as long as he can stay healthy. He's going to be a tremendous fantasy asset. I just worry about the the home stretch. Yeah, I mean, I, I can see that. I, I that, Like you said, it doesn't go into my... You know, you kind of you have that. Idea no, we have to project a full. We're projecting a full season for these guys when we do it. We can't put that into our projections. But. Yeah, no, I. It's just, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's possible, but um, you know, I, I think like you, you kind of spoke to it too. It's, I think, the biggest issue for Bigsby is Auburn struggling. Right. Um, we put a stat in the guide here that he, you know, he had 220 plus carries last year. Like the volume was there but he still finished as RB 55. And that's just because of the lack of scoring opportunities that Auburn had. So them struggling, obviously it would hurt Tank Bigsby. Yep. Now let's go to Arkansas, Mike, where you've got KJ Jefferson coming back at quarterback. You've got, you know, a, you know, a nice stable of running backs there, but the big thing is that Traylon Burks moves on. And right now you and I have Jaden Hazelwood, the Oklahoma transfer pegged, to kind of take over that role, but we're seeing Matt Landers come in from Toledo as well to give the offense a little bit more big play splash. Um, never really, you know, I think you had mentioned it on, on a previous show or, you know, through some conversations, you and I just where, you know, in the spring, there was a lack of, of deep threat on there. guys getting past some of the defensive backs. They bring in Landers, maybe hope solve that problem. Uh, but for me, I think that's really the big thing. I, I like Raheem Sanders this year. Uh, KJ Jefferson, um, you know, I, I think he's going to be okay. I'm a little worried about the Arkansas schedule, and I can pull that up in a minute, but I'm kind of interested to get your thoughts on where the biggest question is with Arkansas's offense going into 2022 for you. Yeah, I think, I mean, biggest question would be probably wide receiver. And it, it, it's it's a question, but it's also like I, I am of the firm opinion now, especially after Matt, adding Matt Landers, that, well, 
they needed weapons, right? The, the, the guys in spring camp were not necessarily getting it done. And we, we talked about that. There was reports that the guys could not, the guys in camp were struggling to get consistent separation against the Arkansas defensive back. So Matt Landers obviously averaged over 25 yards catch. He should help in that area, but I don't know. I'm kind of off the, the Arkansas receivers at this point. Um, I think it might be kind of a, a group effort. Nobody's going to be a 30 plus target share guy like Traylon Burks that they, they don't have that guy right now, in my opinion. So um, yeah, you want to talk about the Arkansas schedule? Well, I mean, I don't know if it's necessarily anything to scare anyone off of an Arkansas player, but you know, usually you just look for that nice, easy run. And I just don't see that in the Arkansas schedule. They open up with Cincinnati, which is great in Fayetteville, right? I mean, I don't necessarily think that's easy. South Carolina isn't going to be the easiest matchup. They get Missouri State, then A&M, Alabama, at Mississippi State, at BYU, off, and then at Auburn. So they're on the road for three consecutive games with a bye week sprinkled in there. Now, I think once when you get to the end of the year, that's where things kind of you know, work in your favor, Liberty, LSU, Ole Miss, and Missouri, right? So I do worry about a little bit of inconsistency, particularly from KJ Jefferson through the first two thirds of that schedule. If you can make it through that, then you're home free. But like I said, it's not an overwhelming schedule, but I think all it's front loaded with most of their tougher defensive opponents. And I just worry about consistency because even though Jefferson did shine last year, his bigger games, and we wrote this up in the guide, were against inferior competition last year. And I think the schedule just gets a little bit, you know, it's a little bit more meatier than it was uh, last year. That's yeah, all. and he, do- he doesn't have his bona fide wide receiver one. I get it. I mean, he, yeah, like he, he, he struggled, what, 13 points against Mississippi State. I think he had the same against LSU. Um, yeah, a little inconsistent production. But, I mean, he did improve his numbers, right? 67% completion rate four interceptions. So, I mean, he's a solid QB two, QB three on, on anybody's fantasy roster. Yeah, no doubt. Well, here's a note that I put that, that, you know, when you look at his season last year, most of his, and I I think I said, but most of it was against inferior competition, right? Rice, Georgia, Southern, Arkansas, Pine Bluff, and Ole Miss. Those are the only games he accounted for three or more touchdowns. And so that's, you know, that's just, just, just noteworthy there. We'll see, you know, improvements can, can change that. But like you said, you lose his top target. How's the transition, but you bring in Landers, maybe you give him a little bit more this year to work with as well. So it's just a little something that makes me a little hesitant with KJ Jefferson going into the new season. Now let's skip over to Missouri, Mike, where, it's all about the running back position in this offense. Now I say that, right. They bring in Nathaniel Pete over from Stanford, uh, but there's a lot of hype and buzz around Luther burden, the, the wide receiver, the freshman wide receiver. Right. So for you, I would assume the running back is definitely the one that, that you and I have been most interested in. Uh, but you're saying not to ignore Luther burden, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't think anybody's well, I I don't think anybody's necessarily ignoring him in in CFF at least, right? They they talk about him all the time in, in C2C or Debbie in those sense. But um yeah, I mean, you know, it's been a it's been a crapshoot to to put it best with with Missouri receivers over the last two years. But I think Burden can kind of break that mold. Um I do think he's got, you know, potential to be a Xavier worthy like or have a Xavier worthy like impact in year one as a freshman, um, you know, despite who's playing quarterback, because I mean, yeah, Brady cook showed well in that bowl game, but you know, it's, it's been minimal production from the, from the Missouri receivers over the last two years, but you know, Drinkwitz does have production dating back to what Boise state, NC state, um, Appalachian state, um, you know, I think his wide receiver one averaged around 60 receptions in the, in those seasons. So if we get competent quarterback play from, from Brady cook, I think, you know, uh, a Xavier worthy, like impact from, from Luther burden as a freshman. Right now. And, and, and I'm a little bit on the side of, you know, I'm, I'm going to wait until I see it too. I mean, the burden's guy that you and I have spoken about. I, I, I just wonder if we're 
you know, maybe a little too early on him. I think, you know, there has to be improved quarterback play. They're, they're kind of starting over. Like you said, Connor Bazelak went over to Indiana, right? But in that Drinkwitz offense, right, running backs really, the that's what drives the engine over there, right? And that's where we're kind of got our chips in right now on Nathaniel Pete, the hometown kid coming in from Stanford. You and I are kind of aligned with that right now. Uh, we'd like to see a little bit more um, of that, you know, a little bit more of, of you know, that firmness and maybe that's going to be the guy that they're going to ride at running back one as we get closer to preseason camp. I mean, really for me, that's where, where I'm going to be concentrating most of my efforts is nailing down that, right? Yeah. I mean, you look at all the projected depth charts, everybody's pegging Pete right now um, as a starter. Does Are we sure that that continues for the entirety of the season? We'll see. I mean, they got uh, Elijah Young in the backfield who, who looked good in the bowl game. Um, Tavoris Jones, the four-star freshman, he could come in and compete there. I think just, again, I love the term tea leaves. All the tea leaves right now are, are continuing to point uh, to Nathaniel Pete. I'll be interested to see if he gets above 200 pounds. Um, I believe he was just shy of that, like 197 on the listed roster. And I, I, the only reason I mentioned that is because that was kind of impacted Tyler Beatty last year, right? Remember that? He, he yep. was like 190 pounds around there his first three years, and then he, he boosted up over to 200 pounds knowing that he was going to take over that that RB1 role. So uh, curious to see if that happens uh, over the summer with Nathaniel Pete. Now let's go down south to Stark Vegas, Mike. Mississippi State Bulldogs and that Mike Leach offense. Will Rogers comes back for this, for, for, you know, the backfield's pretty much set with the return of Joe Quavis Marks and Dylan Johnson, who are great, um, you know, attractions for PPR leagues, right? A lot of options there at receiver, most notably for us, Jaden Wally, Austin Williams, and right now, Antonio Harmon. I mean, those seem to consist of the top three for us right now. But there are a number of names that can fit into this equation by the time the season comes around because Leach has, you know, he does, he has shown a propensity to really rotate some guys through that system in the passing game. Yeah, it's a risk. It's definitely a risk projecting them, um, drafting them even just because he'll rotate eight, nine guys if he runs to, right? Um, so, Again, we have Antonio Harmon, or we have him and Wally, like neck and neck, right? They're probably right next to each other in, in both of our rankings. And reasoning why, we kind of know what to expect with Wally, right? Yes. Just, you know, he kind of had a down year last year, but he still gave us 60-plus receptions. So, um, you know, he's going to be a consistent guy there, I feel like, in the slot. Antonio Harmon is the one that we are kind of projecting right now to, to step into that wide receiver one mold. Why? We wrote about it in the guide. Six of the last eight Mike Leach wide receivers have been outside receivers, right? If you want to take that even further, you know how they have the, the positional designations, the, the Y, the X, the, the Z. Five of the last six dating back to Washington State have been the Z receiver. So you, like a, a Gabe Marks last year with, with Mackay Polk all have been at that Z spot. And, and that's where Antonio Harmon is. Um, Redshirt freshman got really good size and he was praised throughout the spring campus. Leach was questioning the toughness of the current Mississippi state wide receiver group. And he praised Antonio Harmon for exactly that. So um, depth charts currently show Caleb ducking as the starter there at that Z spot. We're, we spoke about how they rotate their receivers. I think Antonio Harmon can win that job um, based on his play, and and he should be a, a, a valuable fantasy asset if he does. Yeah, I think that's, 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 that's a really good way of looking at how we rank these guys, where Harmon is ranked more so for his upside at the spot in which he's playing. Wally's there because you know, we feel that he's probably the most secure in that spot, probably offers you the most security. And really, we've got Austin Williams there in the three-hole, and really, that's just kind of a steady pick. Like, if you're looking for somebody that's going to be a consistent contributor, maybe not the top guy in that offense, you're looking at a player that I think caught 43 passes two years ago, caught 55 again last year, and uh, probably, you know, will be on pace to finish as one of the top three receivers this year. Won't have any mind-blowing numbers, but 
from a ranking standpoint as well, kind of gives you a little bit more security and just knowing you have a target that's probably going to pull in about 40 balls in that Mike Leach offense, right? Last point I wanted to make on, on Mississippi State, uh, I tweeted about this today. Uh, you want to take Dylan Johnson almost every time over Joquavius Marks based on their where their, uh, their ADP because I'm getting Dylan Johnson 10 rounds after yeah. Joquavius Marks. And I think you saw it the last month, last second half. I'm not sure exactly, but you saw it definitely the last three or four games. Their snap counts were dead even. Okay, so I, I, I I'm not ready to reject Dylan Johnson over Joquavius Marks, but um, you can just sit back ten rounds and and uh, wait for for Dylan. No, I think I think that's a great point, Marks. We actually have projected as as the higher of the two, but for the difference in the value, you're getting Dylan Johnson ten rounds later at a really similar fantasy production. Uh, point right and so that's yeah. you know point point well made you don't have to go early for marks when you could find fairly similar value in johnson several several rounds later right yep so let's go over to south carolina mike where they have man they're there they're, there's some shakers and movers over there in south carolina bringing spencer rattler austin stogner in from oklahoma they bring in antoine wells the receiver from from james madison they bring in Corey Rucker, Rucker from Arkansas State. They bring in Christian Bill Smith at running back to get some depth behind Marshawn Lloyd as well. They've got Josh Van at receiver, Jaheim Bell, a tight end that I know that you liked. Uh, had a great yards per catch average last year. There's a lot, to, a lot to like about this South Carolina offense right now. But, you know, in all the drafts that we've participated in, it's all about South Carolina players at value for as much as they've brought in. It's not like any guys going in the top six, seven, eight rounds on South Carolina's roster right now. Where, where are the one or two players that you like on this roster and where they're going right now? Jaheim Bell. And that's it for the most part. <laughs> I, I, I'll take a shot on Marshawn Lloyd, maybe in the last round. I remember watching the spring game and, and Lloyd had this one just dirty cut um, that he just he duped the defender and cut up field. I was like, oh, there's that that five-star talent that that came out of high school. Um, so I'll take a shot on him in the last round. But, um, you know, Marcus Satterfield, the offensive coordinator, doesn't have a great track record for, for producing big-time fantasy running backs. I think we're looking at a most likely a committee there. Um, wide receivers, it's an improved group, right, with – with Wells, Rucker, like you mentioned, to go along with Josh Van. Um, they have some other pieces too. But again, like it, it, it comes down to the offensive coordinator for me. And yep. there's not a strong track record for producing high value wide receivers. Um, they have increased depth now, um, like I mentioned. And I don't know, they're, they're, they're a slow paced offense, right? They were 113th in pace last year. I don't think Satterfield's ever coordinated an offense that's been above. 80th in pace so I really do like the personnel here I think you do as well but I'm I'm staying away for the most part the the guy that I the the guy that I like is Marshawn Lloyd and 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 Marshawn Lloyd and just for the simple reason I'm finding good value for him I've gotten him in the last two drafts that we've participated in I'm getting him as like my running back four or five and you know what? Give me that. I, I like the value for him right there. Like you mentioned, Jaheim Bell in all leagues that require a tight end. So for me, I, I'm I'm with you on those two guys. Maybe just have them a little bit more flipped. I might be a little bit higher on Lloyd this year, uh, but I can't argue either way. Bell, Lloyd, for me, those are definitely the two at the top of the list. Now, we go over to LSU where Brian Kelly's come in. He's brought in Mike Denbrock from, from Cincinnati to be offensive coordinator. They bring in Jaden Daniels, you know, as a transfer from Arizona State. You've got Garrett Nussmeyer there. Miles Brennan is still there. We thought you and I, at least, you know, at the beginning of the spring, that post-spring we might be looking at a transfer, maybe even Miles Brennan. He he didn't go anywhere. So it leads us to think that this we, we've got a true quarterback battle on our hands right now. We I think we see Nussmeyer maybe with a little bit more of a of a higher ceiling. Still questions. Emery was a question mark going into the spring with his academics. It seems like he's been cleared and he's going to be back. Kayshawn Butte was, you know, in the beginning of spring when Kelly got there a little bit in the doghouse, didn't really, was, you know, his expectations were 
he wasn't going to go a lot of to the team meetings and whatnot when he was hurt. Well, Kelly's like, listen, you got to be there, right? So a lot changed when Kelly came over to LSU. It seems like those two are on good footing now, but he's got to get on the field and healthy as well. So just a lot of big, a lot of question marks with LSU's offense going into the preseason camp. And for me right now, through all the drafts that we've done, it's been a stay away from me, even on Boutte. And LSU is sort of a sit and wait for me. I don't know where they stand for you, Mike. I am starting to trend upwards slightly with Boutte. Um, there was that video that came out on Twitter, uh, I don't know, last week, a couple of weeks ago, that he's running routes on, on, I don't know, a high school field or whatever, but he looks 100% healthy. And, and this is a guy, legitimate wide receiver one type. Yep you know, talent in the NFL draft. So, um, you know, you want to bet on those types of, of talented playmakers. Um, so if he's healthy, you know, I was thinking about this earlier. I kind of view LSU in the same light as Virginia. Um, change at offensive coordinator, which could cause some concern, right? But the personnel for LSU dictates throwing the football, especially if it's Nussmeyer or Miles Brennan, right? Um, which we we expect one of those two guys is going to be the starter. So, I mean, all the talent that LSU has for me is in the passing game with Boutte, Malik Neighbors, uh, Brian Thomas, Jack Besh. Um, so I don't, I, I'm I'm trending upwards a little bit with with Boutte here, and you know those are the types of talents that you want to bet on. And he's been going in the like late third. Or, you know, maybe early fourth round in drafts that I've been in recently. And, you know, maybe I'll take a shot on him late second if he gets there. I think you and I both have him ranked in the top 20, maybe even the top 15. I'm not debating that. I just worry about whether, you know, we know that he's good and he's definitely NFL good, but I just worry about, are we, is it, or, you know, is the perception a little bit based on the old system and the old way he was getting the ball? How does Denbrock coming in, like you said, the personnel may dictate the play call and it may dictate what happens, but will it? And and I think that th- that uncertainty is just keeping me from jumping on him at where I think he's getting drafted. And so I'm a little hesitant, but I couldn't agree with you more. The guy's uber talented. And, and now that you see that he's healthy, you can only trend upward with him because like you mentioned, sometimes with these players, you know, when you're drafting player A versus player B, it's all about taking the guy with the higher upside. And the upside certainly there with Boutte. So couldn't disagree with you there. I've been shying away from him. But as you mentioned, good news that he's kind of running around, showing that he's getting healthy. And that's certainly a trend in the right direction as we get a little bit closer to September and August. Yeah, I think that upside argument kind of points to why we're projecting Garrett Nussmeyer right now as, as our, you know, QB1. I don't think he's got... It would be Miles Brennan that's that's the favorite, right, to start right now. But but Nussmeyer, I, he sold me in the spring game with some of the throws that he made. He's got the upside that you were mentioning that Miles Brennan doesn't, and Brennan's shown the propensity to be injury prone too. So I expect we'll see Nussmeyer at some point this year. Yeah, no doubt. Now let's go over to Kentucky, Mike. Will Levis returns. Uh, offensive coordinator change in Rich Scangarello, I think is, 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 is how you pronounce his name. He came over from the 49ers, but similar concept, concepts is what we saw probably last year at Kentucky. They replaced Wandale Robinson with what we believe is going to be Tavion Robinson, the Virginia Tech transfer. Uh, you know, Tavion may not have exactly the, the wiggle that, that Wandale has, but he certainly got a lot, got rave reviews in the spring. Big storyline coming out, Chris Rodriguez and his DUI incident where, you know, the past this past week, I think he pled guilty to those charges. charges so we're going to wait and see how that impacts him. They bring in Ramon Jefferson, who at one time was a Colorado commit. They bring him into Kentucky. You know, the first thought was, is maybe we don't know more than, than you know, do, is there something going on more than what we know that they bring in him? But definitely uh, some much needed depth behind him if there's anything, you know, even if there's not anything to the Rodriguez incident, and it may be more than just one or two games. But for me, you know, the Rodriguez incident, is that going to lead to any missed playing time down the line or extended playing time? One or two games doesn't really concern me. But I also like Tavion Robinson this year. He seems to be creeping up our charts a little bit with some of the reviews that we read out of spring, the way that they're using him. 
And for me, those are the two guys that I think intrigue me the most on this roster. Uh, one trending up and one kind of trending down right now based on some of the most recent news over the last couple of months. Yeah. Um, let's see. I mean, Tavion Robinson. Yeah. I, I mean, I've been, I've personally been on him, you know, since we initially did the projections back in, back in March, just because, you know, they bring in the new offensive coordinator, same tree, same coaching tree as, as Liam Cohen uh, last year's offensive coordinator, uh, Tavion Robinson. I wouldn't say he's the same player as Wandale, the same level of player, but you know, he's 66% of the snaps he took at Virginia Tech were in the slot. So he's going to play in the slot, um, you know, very sure-handed, I think five drops in three years, which is really good. Um, so I, I, I like Tavion Robinson. Now, for some reason, his value has just skyrocketed to where I'm almost like, don't want to draft him just because he's getting like the sixth, seventh round, um, which I don't know. You're getting to the point where it's just too high uh, of, of, or his value is just not, you get what I'm saying. It, it's, yeah. uh, it's too high there at, at that at the price point. But, um, but I, I, again, PPR format, I think he's a, a lock for a hundred targets. Um, Chris Rodriguez, I was trying to dig into that situation a little bit today, reading the message boards and, and stuff like that. And, um, you know, it was, you got charged for DUI. It feels like that should be just a, a one to two game suspension. I don't think the Kentucky fan base has a lot of trust in their athletic departments in, in, in handing out a, a lesser suspense than, than what it should be. So maybe he gets beyond one to two games. Uh, I would nab Ramon Jefferson in, in the final rounds of your draft though, because if you look at that schedule to start where Ramon Jefferson likely would probably start in those first few games, um, I think Miami of Ohio, NIU, Florida's in there, and then Youngstown State, I believe, is those first four games. So you're looking at a guy, if he gets a Chris Rodriguez-type workload in those first four weeks, could be really profitable to your to your football team. Or your yeah, team. That's, a, that's a great point. And, and, and what's interesting is I believe – that Rodriguez could be within some, you know, a distance of, of uh, maybe Benny Snell's rushing record too. Um, and I think that's on, that's on the table. And so might be able to kiss that one goodbye. I want to say that he's, he's kind of eyeing down one of those records that, that Snell has, but anyway, good point on that. Good point on Ramon Marti- uh, Ramon Martinez. Good job on Ramon Jefferson, particularly early in that schedule where, you and I have pointed out sometimes getting out of the gate is sometimes difficult to do. You know, a fast start is, is really good in college fantasy football, particularly in head-to-head season-long for, format. So uh, that's a good point right there. And, you know, just to kind of circle back on the Tavion Robinson, because something that came to my mind when you were mentioned where he's kind of skyrocketed up and, it's, you know, his, his value right now may be a little too rich where you're, where you're seeing him go right now. But so you and I have participated in a number of drafts since since April and, you know, or since May. Right. And so the one thing that you we probably can agree on is it's all about value at a particular time. But we've seen and through various drafts, sometimes, you know, guys may punt on quarterbacks and go receiver running back early uh, or vice versa. Right. And so it sometimes the, your, your draft, the way it plays out sort of dictates maybe where you reach for a particular player at a particular position, right? We're seeing that in a couple of drafts right now. I just want to bring that up as sort of one of those drafting strategies when we're talking about value and ADP. ADP, we try to use to kind of get an idea of where guys go, but you've got to stay fluid in your draft, right? You've got to be able to pivot here or there based on where the, where the action in your draft is going. Yeah, it, I I don't have any like this is a probably another topic for another show because we we still got half the SEC left. But uh, I'll I'll just say this: it's all about value, right? It, value, value, value. If you got a if 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 you got four running backs and you see that that fifth guy there that is just that should have been taken two rounds ahead, I'll still take them. You know what? Because you can I'll draft lesser receivers and I'll find somebody on the waiver wire that can that can come in and replace you know, maybe a lesser player that I got at the end of the, at the end of the draft. So it's all about value in your, yep. in your fantasy drafts. 
So let's go, on to, go, go down to Florida, Mike, where Billy Napier comes in from Louisiana Lafayette, brings over Montreal Johnson with him to really beef up that running back core. Lorenzo Lingard seemed to get a lot of the, the buzz uh, coming out of spring as maybe being their best back. We know Napier. We know he likes to use a rotation system in that backfield like he did down at Louisiana. You've got Anthony Richardson there at quarterback, and a lot of the questions is, you know, is is Napier's offense really going to produce a top shelf, top tier fantasy quarterback? What did, you know, Levi Lewis do for him down at Louisiana Lafayette? Well, Levi Lewis was pretty steady over his four years there. But I also argue, too, for some of those that may doubt, I wouldn't put Levi Lewis's talent level uh, at what Anthony Richardson's possibly could be, too. But for me, this has been more of a stay-away offense. We talk about value, and nothing's really jumped out at me from a from a fantasy appeal standpoint up until this point. And uh, it's interesting. I, I haven't gotten one share of Anthony Richardson so far this year. So Florida, for me, is a little bit of a stay-away. Um, and really, it's all about where these players, players fall in value for me. Hmm. Uh, so <laughs> and our subscribers will recognize this. So Anthony Richardson is becoming my Joe DeSalvo, Emory Jones. <laughs> I think I, I think I have shares of Anthony Richardson in four of my last five drafts. Um, I, I maybe it's a personality trait that I just have FOMO. I don't want to miss out on on this potential, you know, what unicorn type type quarterback that just is is so supremely athletically gifted that he transcends what, you know, Billy Napier pr- typically produces at sure. the back. Um, I was kind of looking at this, and if he gets man- – so I think the best comparison to, to where he could, you know, um, to succeed into a, a, a top-10 fantasy quarterback, if he gets Manny Wilkins-type – uh, like volume from Arizona State in 2017, where Billy Napier was the offensive coordinator, because that was Napier's fastest team at 75 plays a game. Manny Wilkins averaged 32 passing attempts per game that season, uh, which, um, uh, who was the quarterback last year for Louisiana? You just mentioned him. And now, Levi now, Lewis. Yeah, Levi Lewis. Uh, he only averaged 28 uh, pass attempts per game the last three years. So, that's it's a boost in volume via the pass and Wilkins had 138 rushing attempts um, that season in 2017. If Anthony Richardson gets that level of a volume, both r- rushing and passing, he'll, he'll very easily be a top 15 quarterback in my opinion. Um, despite what the track record is, has been with, with Billy Napier because I, I know you're, you might touch on it too. I mean, he rushed for what, 400 yards on 50 attempts last year. And I know there was the first two games was like 270 plus yard runs, but he 400 yards on 50 attempts. If he gets 138 attempts, he could explode for a thousand yards. So I think it's just one of those guys where I kind of ignore the system and I want that upside because I, I think he's got top 10 upside. Oh, yeah. And I'm not trying to draw any comparisons. That was the same argument I was drawing with Marshawn Lloyd a little earlier in the show where I'm going to I'm going to go for the talent over this, you know, the the historic production from the system at that position, because it's hard to ignore. And I agree with you. I mean, Anthony Richardson could, you know, he's one of those players that, you know, I'm not saying he will, but could transcend the position a little bit, you know, where he's, you know, he's just sort of that specimen that playing quarterback in the sec that he can, he can do some damage with his arm and his legs. And so uh, the fact that you got FOMO, I love it, man, because uh, you definitely, you, you definitely have enough shares of Richardson, but no point well made. And, and look, here's one thing we do know too. Nate Napier has a really good track record of being able to come in and carve out his niche and, and make it an immediate impact. And so that is going for you if you are taking a player like Anthony Richardson right now, which for me, he'd be the guy on the list to do it because right now, um, as far as receivers go and the possibility of rotation in the backfield, I don't think if there's, I don't think there's anybody else on your list right now besides Anthony Richardson at Florida. No, I I mean, we got a little bit of clarity with uh, in the backfield with Demarcus Bowman leaving, but he was, 
he was running fourth string in the spring anyway. So, you know, that doesn't affect my uh, impression on the Florida backfield any. I mean, they should, like, again, they should have a, they have a good offensive line. Um, so maybe a guy can emerge like Montreal Johnson, uh, Lorenzo Lingard was the running back one coming out of spring camp. But, um, you know, I think, you know, personally, I'm staying away and then absolutely staying away. If we learned anything from at Louisiana, absolutely staying away from, from any Florida wide receivers this year. Now, if there's another program that sort of retooled or recalibrated through the transfer portal, uh, in addition to South Carolina, it was Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss. Brings in Jackson Dart, Michael Treg, the tight end from USC, the quarterback from USC. You got Luke Altmeyer right there still, you know, what seems to be a battle with Dart. They bring in Jalen Robinson, the, 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 the receiver from Central Florida. You've got Jonathan Mingo that returns. They bring in Zach Evans from TCU at running back and then, you know, add some more depth with the Ulysses Bentley from SMU. So, man, a lot of names that they bring in there, Mike. Um, you know, for me, and I'll just kind of jumpstart this, uh, I like Dart, even though we never really saw a lot of separation in the spring. I do think he's going to end up the quarterback. I think you're agreeing with, I think we kind of in agreement with that. I really love Zach Evans. I'm kind of curious to see how Ulysses Bentley affects his, you know, fantasy production. For me, it was a little bit of a downward, you know, trend for him when, when Bentley came in. Uh, but we both like a Jalen Robinson coming in. We we think that he's kind of coming in and 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 he's going to be a focal part of that passing attack. So there are definitely a lot of options at Ole Miss to like this year. Uh, it's just trying to pick your way through the weeds a little bit and trying to figure out exactly where that high end volume is going to come from. This is this is probably one of the top teams, in my opinion, that we have to monitor during um, during fall camp. Because just so many questions, right? Quarterback, wide receiver, and running back. I think there's a lot of questions with his offense. And because they've typically been so good under Lane Kiffin that that we need to get, um, you know, our projected starters and and, and wide receiver one, QB one's correct here. Um, I'm in agreement with you. I think Dart is just, he's going to be the guy. I think he offers the the dual threat ability similar to Matt Corral, Um you know, that, that Luke Altmeyer doesn't have. So I, I just, I think they're going to go with Dart at quarterback. Uh, wide receiver, four of the last five under Lane Kiffin have wide receiver ones have been in the slot. So that's why we have Jalen Robinson over Jonathan Mingo as the projected wide receiver one. But I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, I believe Jalen Robinson did play outside at UCF. So it's, again, like I said, we have to monitor this in fall camp just to make sure if he's in the slot, I think it's all systems go that he's uh, wide receiver one or projected wide receiver one for Ole Miss. So stay tuned on that one. And then running back, where do you stand on Zach Evans this year? I like Zach Evans. The problem is, is he's going earlier than where I find the value in Zach Evans. I've got zero shares of him right now. Um, I can see where he possibly could have a big year, but for me, I feel with where I've got him ranked, I feel a little bit more comfortable with some of the names around him. Um, that's just my personal preference for him. For me, he's a thousand, he's, he's a thousand yard double digit touchdown back in, in the waiting. Um, but for some reason I've been a little gun shy on Zach Evans this year. Yeah, I think. I'm in agreement with you. I don't have a ton of shares. He's going, I see in drafts, he's going third, fourth round. I think that's a little too high for me. If he was fifth, sixth round, I'd be jumping on him right. immediately. Um, I did, I did some calculations earlier today. So last five years under Kiffin, right? And, and the reason I'm going into this is because, you know, I hear in other podcasts talking about, about uh, Zach Evans that, Oh, you know, it's been a timeshare the last few years, right? We're worried about a timeshare with with Zach Evans and, and, and Ulysses Bentley, like we we've seen, you know, last year and, and the year before that. You get under last five years, it's 46 carries per game uh, for the Ole Miss offense, right? 46 rushing attempts per game. If Dart gets utilized similar to Corral, that's what 10, 12 carries a game, maybe, right? Okay, so that we're down to 36, right? Then you get to Ulysses Bentley. Backup running back two averages 12 carries per game. 
uh, under under Lane Kiffin. So what's that? You know, my math sucks, but that should be 24. Oh, now, 20, right? yeah, 24. We're looking at 24. Now, the issue with years past was we had three competent backs and Jerry and Ely, um, Henry Parrish, and boy, if I'm talking about this, I should know him. Who's the big the big yeah, I'm drawing a blank on it too, but I, I know uh, you're saying they had a three-headed monster back. They had a three-headed monster, right? We I don't think we have that this year. I know they got a freshman coming in in Quinchon Judkins, but um, I think it's going to be Dart and and Zach Evans and Bentley, right? So take away you know four or five carries for for the running back three here. That you're down to like 18, 19 carries a game for Zach Evans. So I'm really not too worried about his workload or it being a, a possible, you know, a, a committee there. I think it's going to be two guys in that backfield, Bentley and Evans. And I think you're going to get 20 plus 20 touches a game there. So while I said, you know, I I've been fading him a little bit just because he's going a little higher than, than I personally like, I can see the argument for where, you know, if he's getting 20 plus touches a game with his talent that he's, that he's worthy of a possible third and fourth round uh, selection. Yeah, no doubt. Now, Mike, let's go over to Texas A&M now, where a lot there, Devin Shane, running backs deep, Amari Daniels coming in, LJ Johnson, some young guys coming in. Same thing at receiver. Obviously, if we follow uh, our boy Nick Saban, they basically bought one of the biggest recruiting classes ever, right? So, Max Johnson questions at quarterback, Haynes King returning, even the freshman coming in for Connor Wegman. Where, where are the major questions for you going into this new season with Texas A&M? It's all about Devin Ashane. Ashane, I should know that. Um, it, it's all about the running back situation. And it, it's, it's, it's his size in the SEC. And we've, we've seen how, how explosive he is, right? And, and, and the stats back that up. Um, again, a 7.4 career yards per carry per, uh, pro football focus. I found this stat, uh, he's broken 53 tackles on 173 career attempts, uh, earning and earned a rushing grade of over 90 in each of the last two years. So all the advanced stats really, really like him. Uh, it's a matter of his size in the SEC and Jimbo was asked, you know, can he, uh, can he, can he get 17, 18 carries a game uh, at his, you know, 185, 190 pound size. And Jimbo basically said, yep. I don't know if there was more to that quote, but he confirmed that he believes that he can uh, handle that type of workload. So, I mean, that's really my biggest question mark with the, with the A&M offense uh, this year. Yeah, I think for me, I think there's a couple of intriguing options. One, I think if there can be an established running back two behind a Shane, maybe like, you know, Amari Daniels had a decent spring. LJ Johnson, I think he missed most of the spring, if not all of it. I think one of those two guys could potentially have a nice role in this offense. And, uh, you know, a player like Amari Daniels has really been getting overlooked in a lot of drafts, right? And so you can get him really late, even if sort of, your security blanket for Devin Ashane. You've got Evan Stewart who, uh, Stewart, who came in and had a really impressive spring, the young receiver coming in. Uh, none of those guys are going early. I think those are just some of the names that I'm looking at just to, you know, some late, other than Ashane, you can get some of those Texas A&M guys really late if you want to take a flyer on them. And I, you know, I say, why not, right? Because Texas a and is supposed to be pretty good this year. Um, and you know, they they do have some talent there on offense, but it, it's just something that I've noticed. I've taken a stab at a, in a few drafts I've been in at, at Amari Daniels late and Evan Stewart late as well. And so, uh, by far, you know, Anaya Smith, Devin Ashane have been the two names off of, off of most of the boards, but man, still got questions even at quarterback going into the new season. So, uh, much like you mentioned with Ole Miss, we're going to be watching here, um, Texas A&M is another program we're going to be watching, particularly at quarterback, I think, as we get into preseason camp, aren't we? Yeah. I mean, boosters aren't going to be happy if their $30 million aren't well well spent. So, yeah, yeah man, no doubt about that. Well, look, the, the, the last three teams we have to cover, I don't think there's any concern about quarterback. Let's start over at Tennessee where Hendon Hooker comes back. His top target, Cedric Tillman, is back. 
Um, you know, you got Jabari Small in the backfield. You, you know, Jalen Hyatt seemed like he was improved in the spring. They bring in Brew McCoy as well. Uh, they've got a beefed up receiving core there, uh, just reloaded, ready to make a run this year. A lot to like about Hendon Hooker and his dual threat ability this year. Uh, and Cedric Tillman, we've seen both of those guys really, both of those guys probably going in the first two rounds of almost every draft that we've participated in so far. Um, for sure within the top three rounds, depending on where you're valuing quarterback and Hendon Hooker. But that's where all that's where that's where most of the draft results have been going, right? Those two guys super early and and other guys kind of coming in with value picks, you know, midway through the draft, maybe have uh, you know, tail end of the draft with some of those other guys that I mentioned. Yeah. It's a good thing you mentioned Brew McCoy. You get some hate hateful DMs from Chris K. <laughs> um yeah, it's I don't know. for for such a high scoring offense like this, like I, I, there's not a ton of like questions that I have, or you know, Hendon Hooker is going second, third round, which where he should go. Um, you know, running back Jabari Small, he's a back back of back of the end raw, uh, running back and on your roster because um, because Josh Heupel is it, it's around 25% market share with his running back one. So um, he typically prefers a, a by committee approach. So, you know, just your running back three or four there. Um, I think it's, it is wide receiver. I think that's most intriguing for me. Uh, Cedric Tillman's a bona fide top five fantasy receiver, in my opinion. I think he's going to, he could potentially have 30% target share this year. Jalen Hyatt's interesting because, you know, we, he was, a. Uh, I think people were expecting him to take that sophomore leap last year and, and he obviously failed to do so, but, you know, kudos to him from all reports. He came around and had, you know, his best spring since he's been on campus. I think he put on some weight while maintaining his, his four, four speed or four, three speed. So, um, you know, he's going to be an interesting case this year. And the reason we continue to have Hyatt over, Drew McCoy as the projected wide receiver two is that the last four years, Tennessee and UCF, the outside guy and the slot guy have always comprised the top two receivers in the last four years, right? So that, I mean, that again, that points to Hyatt and, and Tillman. The four years prior to that at Oklahoma and Utah State, we saw two outside guys. So slight chance, maybe it's Drew McCoy, but but I'm leaning towards Hyatt as the wide receiver too here at, at Tennessee. Same, same here. I've taken him in the last couple of best balls we've had. So I've kind of thrown some chips in the middle of the table on, on Jalen Hyatt as well. Now let's go over to the defending champions, uh, Georgia Bulldogs, Mike Stetson Bennett back at quarterback, Kendall Milton, Kenny McIntosh, probably the new one, two punch there at Georgia. Brock Bowers coming off a spectacular year last year. Um, you know, him coming back to, you know, there's some debate on whether or not he can duplicate their, not those numbers from last year. Will we see a little bit of regression? We know Eric Gilbert is back in the fold now as well. So Georgia getting another big target there so far, you know, in a lot of our drafts, you know, it's been business as usual with Georgia, right? Just not a lot of early investment. Uh, you can go early for, for the tight ends, particularly Brock Bowers. Uh, Eric Gilbert back in the fold, but even though you've got the national champions here, uh, still nothing's changed for us from a fantasy appeal standpoint. Stetson Bennett going late and really, you know, Milton and McIntosh, neither guy going particularly high. You can get them in the mid to late rounds of your fantasy drafts, depending on if you're full FBS or not. Right. Uh, but no guys really going any, you know, no one's really jumping off the boards except maybe Bowers particularly early in some, you know, tight end required leagues. Yeah. Uh, I, is it, is it bad to say that I have zero interest really in, in the Georgia offense from a fantasy standpoint, you know, the national champions, um, back is going too high for my taste in, in, in drafts and in the early rounds. Um, I mean, he scored single digits in half of the games, he, a regular half of the regular season games he played last year. I don't, Best ball, it's fine, right, to, to draft him that high. But then again, I feel like I can find tight ends in the back, head, back yeah. end of my draft that can make up for that production. So 
you know, I really don't have a lot of interest in, in Brock Bowers this year. Eric Gilbert, I think you can get a few, if not more rounds later, which I might have more interest in, in that sense, because I think he'll be the top red zone option for, for, for Georgia this year. Georgia running back, same story as it's, as it's been. They, they might be RBU in, in college football, but from a, from a fantasy standpoint, you know, we don't, we don't really care about them. I think four games last year throughout for all Georgia running backs, four games of, uh, of 20 points or more scored by a single running back. So the, the production sporadic, um, wide receivers, hell no, we don't care about Georgia wide receivers. Setson Bennett, I think is the interesting case in my opinion, because Seven of the last nine games he played, he scored 20 or more fantasy points, playing two or more fantasy points. But it's it's just a it feels like a guessing game, you know. And I kind of relate this to DFS a little bit, where you know, I was on I was on Georgia running backs in that that early season matchup with UAB, thinking, hey, this they're a 30 point favorite. They're just gonna ground and pound with you know, like what Kirby Smart wants to do. And then Stetson Bennett or throws for five touchdowns in the first half. Like that's what you're dealing with with the Georgia offense every week. You have no idea. They're going to score 50 points. You have no idea where it's going to come from. So me personally, you know, maybe I'm salty because they kicked Michigan's ass in the, in the semifinal last year, but I, I really don't have a ton of interest in the Georgia offense regardless of, you know, how many points they scored. Well, this was something we pointed out in the guide. And then this is just, you know, when you have a team that was so dominant as they were last year and, and, you know, I'm not saying they will be as dominant this year as they were last year, but you look at some of those numbers at the end of the season for Stetson Bennett, they were postseason numbers. So if Georgia can waltz through most of the regular season this year, we mo- we noted it in the guide. There was only one time last year in the regular season in which Stetson Bennett completed more than 14 passes in any one game. Right. And so you're not looking at a high volume pass offense. You really have to be hoping for efficiency, red zone efficiency, and him giving you some of those three TD games in the air just by Georgia having the ball so much because you're not going to be looking at 300 yard passing games from Stetson Bennett week in and week out. I think that's what he did against in that UAB game. I think he threw for 300 yards and five, you know, five touchdowns. Like I said, the one game we weren't expecting it to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And it was on 10, like 10 completions, probably to five different receivers. Like that's just what you're going to get from the Georgia offense. So really I don't have a ton of interest in them this year. Well, Mike, let's finish up the conference with Alabama, obviously Bryce young back. They add Jameer Gibbs in the, offseason from Georgia Tech they had Jermaine Burton in the offseason from Georgia they had Tyler Harrell the big play receiver from Louisville um man there's a not there's it's hardly anything to not like about this Alabama offense but for you and I it's given us a little bit of headaches and created some long conversations here and there around those receivers, right? I mean, it seemed we thought maybe we were going to get Burton and Brooks one, two Brooks misses the spring. They bring in Tyler Harrell. He's got big play potential. Then you get into the conversation. Well, is Burton going to kind of come in and fill in that Jameson Williams role, or is it going to be more of the Mechie role? If it's more of the Mechie role, maybe that opens the door for Tyler Harrell, so, Mike, there's a we've gone back and forth about this. Like, we don't even have enough time to talk about the, all the possibilities that could play out here, right? But by all by all accounts, it seems like Burton did have a solid spring. So it's hard not to project him in the top two. But you and I just recently, and we're making an update in the guide about this. Um, you know that Tyler Harold Jacory Brooks conversation is a little trickier, right? I'm going to kind of let you give your two cents on that and some of the thinking we've been doing and the reasoning behind some of the adjustments in the rankings as we go, you know, into the month of July. And as we get closer to that preseason camp with these two. Yeah, it's, it's tough. And you, you want, and this is why we've gone back and forth, you know, not only recently, but, but for months, uh, you want to hit on, you know, Alabama receivers, obviously you want to hit on the Alabama wide receiver too. They've averaged 14 points per game. Uh, and top uh, and and two top forty finishes in, in the last four years. So you know this is 
not only high volume, but it's a, a prolific offense, a passing offense. Um, and, and we want to hit on, on who's that first, second, and potentially third guy. Our initial pick was Brooks for, for wide receiver two. Um, wide receiver two, the last two seasons for under Bill O'Brien have been outside receivers. That's where Jagori Brooks will play opposite of um, Jermaine Bird. They add Tyler Harrell. He's a little, you know, I mean, caught 18 of, you know, 18 passes on 36 targets, not really efficient. Um, he did have the highest receiver grade on, on pro football focus last year of Louisville wide receivers. Um, average 29 yards per catch. So obviously he's explosive and, and, and like you said, fills potentially fills that, that Jamison yeah. Williams role. The issue is 94% of his snaps uh, at Louisville came outside where if we're projecting Burton and Brooks outside, where does Tyler Harrell fit in? Does he, does he play the slot? Is he used to playing the slot? Like I, I the dynamic of where these guys kind of fit it, it, it's tough to project. So yeah. we're, we're playing it safe here and we adjusted and, and we're moving Tyler Harrell up just because, you know, kind of like with, with Anthony Richardson, a little bit of FOMO. I don't want to miss out on, on a player this explosive in an offense like Alabama. And well, this, this is what is, you know, I, you know, we added in the write-up that's going to update in the guide a little bit later tonight and, and we'll have it updated for the weekend is that, as you mentioned, I think Harrell only caught what maybe 18 passes last year. A third of those went for a touchdown. I think he averaged damn near 29 yards a catch, right? So the question is, is where does he fit in Alabama and will he fit and have a significant role? The one thing that I think we can agree on is that he does have big playability. And even if he's not one of those top two guys, there's a role that he's probably going to have in this offense this year that is at least going to give him a decent floor. But much like we were talking about other guys we were projecting, the, the ceiling for Tyler Harrell is too great to ignore if he should happen to land one of those two spots. That's, what made it, that's what's made it difficult for us with Ja'Cory Brooks and with Tyler Harrell right now and why you're seeing a very similar or really close number in projections. We have Brooks projected slightly higher than Harrell, but if you and I, all things considered, if we're being honest with everybody out there, if push came to shove on draft day and both of those guys are on our draft board, I think you and I are probably going with Harrell over Brooks just because we like the appeal of that high-end upside for Harrell if he should happen to get a more significant role in the offense yeah I I, I agree um my I guess my argument kind of and, and it, it's in a similar fashion to what you just said you know I'm looking at my rankings right now and I have a, a I think I have like a Jason Jackson at Ball State over Tyler Harrell I might take a shot on Tyler Harrell over a Jason Jackson because of the upside that 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 you mentioned. And I think we would tell our subscribers every single year, it gets to a point in your drafts where you might kind of put away the, the, the rankings per se and, and start drafting for upside because with the, the waiver wires being so extensive in college fantasy football, if you miss on a, you know, if Tyler Harrell doesn't become, you know, one of the top two receivers there, then you kick them to the curb and you're able to pick somebody up. But you want to, to secure in drafts those high upside guys like a Tyler Harrell on Alabama. Yep, that's a good point. And so, um, you know, and it's a good point too in regards to giving some perspective on draft specs too, right? Like best ball, you may play a little bit more conservative, maybe a little play a little bit more closer to the vest. You want the guys that are going to give you points week in and week out because you don't have that in season roster management whereas in traditional fantasy football leagues you've got the roster management i've always said swing for the fences on draft day boom or bust it's always been my philosophy because if they're not doing anything after two or three weeks you're going to find a waiver wire replacement for them anyway so that's a great point mike that's going to do it man the sec show i think this is our longest show so far but but worth every minute that we've done there was a lot to get into i know sec is certainly your favorite conference to to talk so um 
little tongue in cheek with that when I was mm. expecting, I was expected a little bit more of a, of a bigger response out of that, but man, look, we've done a bunch of these shows. Uh, we're going to try to get everything uploaded. I think there was some, some, uh, you know, some problems with the Sunbelt link. We got some feedback on that. We're going to get that adjusted, but that's going to, that's going to do it, man. We're going to post all of these shows, get everybody caught up if you have not. And this is the first one you're listening to, or maybe the second We've got Mike and I have run through all the conferences over the past three weeks. Every show is probably 40, 60 minutes long. All of the preseason content as of this weekend is going to be updated. Preseason fantasy draft guide. We'll have the updated projections. Everything will be reflected. Even that conversation that we had about the Alabama receivers. Fourth of July has come and gone. Draft season is upon us for college fantasy football. It's only going to get more heated up, more heated as we get closer to the season. But that's going to do it for this show. Mike and I will be talking to you guys soon. We'll be doing more shows. But for the CFF site, my name is Joe DeSalvo. For my partner, Mike Bainbridge, we'll be doing some more shows throughout the summer leading up to the preseason. But for now, that's going to do it for the 2022 preseason preview series. We'll chat with you guys soon.